Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. We are starting with a series, a Christmas series, and it's called The Gift. So if you have your Bibles, you are welcome to turn there. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 2, um, and we're going to start there. Now, Christmas time for people who are in retail, they, they count Christmas time as, as a major part of their success for the year. 20% of all their re- revenue is generated during the Christmas season. This year, it's estimated, this doesn't include Canada because the number wasn't as shocking, but in America, so, so let's use our friendly neighbors. This year, they estimate that they are going to spend $781 billion. That's a lot of money. $781 billion on gifts. In a survey, when they ask people who's their favorite people to buy Christmas gifts for, most of you can probably guess who's at the top of the list. The senior pastor. <laughs> and, and if it's not at the top of the list, you should adjust it. But no, number one, top of the list is who? Kids. Yeah, people love to buy gifts for the kids. Here's the one that shocked me. And I think it's wrong. You know who was dead last? Senior pastors. No, I'm joking. Dads. Like, only 2% of people like buying gifts for dads. Like, <laughs> and then when they do buy, it's like socks or ties. 70% said they love buying gifts for children. 2% they like buying gifts for their dads. Now, we're entering this Christmas season, um, as it's been historically called, and, and most of us know Um, You know, we've celebrated Christmas before. We actually know people who don't know anything about Christmas, don't know what it's about, don't know that Jesus is involved with it. We actually have, have, um, my my kids have friends who have a complete uh, zero knowledge of Christ at all. But we know Christmas. We've celebrated Christmas before. Um, And what we want to do is, beginning this week, for the next uh, four weeks. So next week, we have Bish preaching. Uh, the week after that, we've got Jay. Uh, for Christmas Eve, we will all gather together here for, for worship, and we're going to reflect on the Christmas story, and then I'll be preaching on Christmas Day self. It's an online service. Don't come here. Nobody's going to be here. Uh, it's an online service on Christmas Day, but it's on the last part, which is on Jesus. But uh, we're going to talk about all the gifts, the gifts of Christmas that were given to Jesus after his birth. Now, i got to say that I always find it awkward during Christmas time. I find it awkward because I feel like I'm sort of battling theology of what is like what really happened and what Christmas really is and then kind of what we see on Christmas cards and, and we hear in Christmas songs. And it's like a theological battle, but I enjoy Christmas. And so the, the battle for me more, it's not that I don't appreciate everything that's in some of these Christmas songs and, and Christmas cards. It's just, it's inaccurate. And what happens is when it's inaccurate and we tell other people our inaccurate information, and they just do a little bit of research, 
they figure out that we are clueless and we don't even know what we are celebrating ourselves. So what I want to do is I want to equip you so that you understand what these four gifts are about. I want to show you an example. I've discovered that most people, um, like I said, get their information regarding Christmas from the, the Christmas cards you put on your mantle or from Christmas carols. The biggest culprit for misinformation is actually Christmas carols. It's the biggest. It gives you, I mean, it's beautiful. Like one of my favorite Favorite Christmas carols. Here's an example. Let, let's sing it all together. Silent night. Yes, keep going. Okay, stop right there. Now, we have three kids. Me and Omri have three kids. We've got three kids. For those of you who don't know, uh, we love two of them. No, we love all of them. <laughs> Anjo was born first. Anjo is 16 years old. 39 hours of labor. But a well-planned birth. Right? Bags packed for all those new dads. When you do the, the, the birth, the pre-birth course, which most dads get dragged to, I went voluntarily because I want to be the emotional support that my wife's need during the birth process. Um, so I've had, I, I did everything, right? They give you a checklist, right? Make sure if the first contraction start, you must have a hospital bag packed and it's ready to go that you can simply put it in the car and race to the hospital. And then when you show up there, she's going to go in and the baby's going to come. And we had the bag packed and we were like, contractions, go in the car, go. Show up there, 39 hours later, baby show up. Very well planned. Kaylee, um, our second um, child, um, favorite. <laughs> Kaylee was supposed to be a hospital birth. We kind of had a bag planned. Um, bag was kind of packed. But what happened is uh, contractions turned into birth. So... <laughs> So she was planned hospital birth, but turned out home birth. Lene. <laughs> Lene was a very well-planned home birth. Everything figured out for the home. So what we did is, and we started getting contractions. So we went to the hospital. She had to go for a checkup to check how far along she is. And they said, baby's coming. Now, I, don't, I think people thought we were strange. I think we were like... Nurses were looking at us. What are you asking for? I'm like, get me a wheelchair. I'm like, why? She's having a baby. Yeah, but you're in the hospital. We're going home. We don't want to have the baby in the hospital. We're booking it up. So I got a wheelchair, running to the car, shoving Emery in the car, in the back. Um, <laughs> she was pretty big at that point. <laughs> Very pregnant. Uh, Racing home like, like my emergency lights on, you know, because we got to get home. Baby's coming now. Hours and hours and hours later, finally Lene showed up um, and she was a, a home birth. Now, here's what I've discovered is in the days of Jesus, there were only home births. Just so you know, there were no bags packed. Okay, let's head to the hospital. Baby's coming. No, it's only home births. And what I've discovered is it really doesn't matter if you have a home birth 
or if you have a well-planned hospital birth, wherever you are, the one thing a birth is not is silent and calm. <laughs> Unless you've got a C-section, then you're like, out. But, but even that, it is not silent and it is not calm. Now, I want you to think about this. So silent night, holy night, all is calm, wrong. Um, all is bright, it's night. Um, so, so I want you to think about this. Now, amongst all of the, the, the whole thing of she's going to give birth now, you have a city in Bethlehem that is over-occupied. There are so many people there. People are on the streets. Everybody's there for the census. There's noise going on. There's no room for people to stay. Uh, people travel from countries to be there. Now, add to that angels singing. Not soft, right? And, and just the, the awe and the fear of the shepherds and everybody else that heard this, not calm. So it's an inaccurate picture. Get the idea. Now, it seems to me that of all the people in the Christmas story, there's one group specifically where we have the most confusing information or where there is the most confusion about. And, it, and it's a group called the wise men. Now I say confusion because there was another great song and another great Christmas carol. Written in 1857 and it goes like this. Ready? We... Uh-huh. We, you don't know that one. We three kings. We just know the three kings part, right? <laughs> oh, son of something. Sounds like a boss song, that part of it. Beautiful song. However, like that really sounds like the part where everybody in the pub comes in. Right, if you've ever been there, anyway. Beautiful song. Now, here's the thing about this. The text says nothing about the number three. It doesn't say there were three kings. It doesn't say there were three wise men. It says there were three gifts. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah. <laughs> How many ever there were, this is what you have to think about. It was enough to make Herod, who is the king of the Jews, invite these people into his palace to have a conversation with them. Most scholars believe that these wise men traveled with a whole entourage of people, with an army. So it wasn't just three guys with camels showing up. And then Herod goes, oh, there's three strangers with camels. I should talk to them. Now, there was a whole thing around them that caused the whole city to take notice. Now, what do we know about them? Um, some people think that they were from the Orient. They were Asian. They were not. Um, they were from somewhere east of Israel, ancient Persia. They were not kings. Very important to know. And what you will discover over the next few weeks, as Besh and Jay preach also, is that they were actually spiritual advisors, but more specifically, they were called king makers. 
They were known as that. They were known as kingmakers. And another thing important is they did not come Christmas night. They weren't there. Mary had, you know, gave birth. Ah, Jesus, three wise men. They showed up at least two years later. By that time when they showed up, Jesus is not a baby any longer. He is a child. That's what you will see. So, so what we learn from cards and from carols isn't always right. What would be way more accurate to sing would be we huge entourage of people, possibly with an army, of, of Persia just east of the Jordan. We are astronomers and kingmakers travel afar, but I don't think it rhymes. So I thought that might be why they decided not to do that. So we're going to look at the gifts um, that they gave because the, the gifts are very significant. There is specific meaning in gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Today we're going to start to look at gold uh, in chapter 2, verse 11, gold. Now gold is called the medal of kings. And there was one thing that this group knew about this baby that was going to be born. They knew that he was going to be a king. A king is born. And we're going to examine these gifts and we're going to go deeper into Christmas carols a little bit also beyond the cover of Christmas cards. And the hope is that by the end of this Christmas season, when it comes to Christmas Eve, that you will have an understanding of how significant those gifts are. And also the hope is that it will add meaning to the gifts that you give others. Because there's a reason why we give gifts. One of my best memories of Christmas is when um, we, Kaylee was about five years old, and we used to, on Christmas Day, we don't open up our gifts on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Day, we would FaceTime our parents in South Africa, grandparents, so my mom and dad, and Rich mom and dad, and we switch the computers on, and then they can see when our kids open their gifts, so they can be part of it, uh, and Rumi... We were sitting, both parents, everything switched on. So the kids can't open anything until everything is perfect. So the excitement is, and I like to draw it out as long as I possibly can, uh, like any good dad would. Um, and, and it's at this point where Kaylee's so excited, and you could see that there was one huge gift under the tree, which was a, um, a dollhouse that I tried to build. Um, but it's wrapped up, and but it's not yet built, but it's kind of just, it just looks like wood. It doesn't make any sense yet. And so it's time to open up the gifts, and Kaylee starts ripping off the gifts, and she like rips it, and it's just paper flying everywhere. And she looks at it, and she starts dancing around, super excited, dancing all over the living room. Wow, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And then she paused, and, and I remember everybody on camera kind of looking, and then she goes, what is it? Right? I'm so excited. This is awesome. It's the best day ever. And I feel like this is kind of the same feeling that most of us have with the gifts that the wise man brought to Jesus also. They're like, it's amazing. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I even have it under my mantle. The little gifts are there, but we don't know what they are. So the hope is that you're going to know by the end. We do exactly the same. So let's begin in verse 1. And then we're going to start answering the questions. Verse 1, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. 
Now, at that point, we're not really told anything more. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. As we begin this chapter, seemingly from out of nowhere, there is a group that shows up out of the east. That's how this chapter starts. And these people who show up, they manage to get an audience with the king. They manage to be so significant that they can stand in front of the king and the king has requests of them. Now, whatever the conversation entails, whatever they saw or whatever Herod saw in this group, it was enough to trouble Herod. Whatever they were talking to him about, it was enough to make him concerned about the conversation that they're having. It says the wise men from the east. So we're not really told much more than the wise men from the east at this point. However, you should know that over the centuries, there are many legends and myths and people that have written things that I feel are just made up, um, where, and which has caused people to go three wise men. One of the things is Marco Polo wrote this in his travels. It says he encountered a, a village in Persia, and the village claims, this is their claim to fame, that it was the starting point of origin, the beginning part of the journey for the wise men that went to see Christ the child. There's another one. In the 12th century, there was a German bishop. This one's awesome. His name is Reynold of Cologne. Great name. Who claimed to have found the skulls of the wise men. Now, interesting that he found them in Germany. Um, but he says, when he dug them up, he knew it was them. And the reason he knew it was their skulls was because their eyes were still in their sockets and they were fixed towards Jerusalem. Has to be the wise men. There's no other reason. So there are some myths regarding the wise men. Some incorrect information. So, so let's get some correct information. The word wise men in the Greek is the word majoe, magos. To say magos. We use the term magi. Magi. You've heard the term magi before. History tells us that they come from the ancient Medea. It's the area, ancient Persia. Now, according to Greek historian Herod, Herodotus, that's the information where we get most of our accurate information from. is actually from this Greek historian. He says that they were a priestly caste of the Medes. Now, that's useful, right? If you want to impress people over Christmas dinner one night. Did you know that the wise men were from the priestly caste of the Medes? And then you just leave it there. Let them swallow on that. Um, from Mesopotamia, they had one time tried this group, tried to overthrow Persia. But they became a priestly tribe. Almost like the Levites were a specific tribe that functioned in a specific order. These people became a tribe that functioned in a specific order. They had a specific mandate. When people looked at them, there was a specific thought towards them. They were advisors to kings. Um, they were people who were called on by monarchs to give them information and wisdom, but they were called king makers. So when a king maker shows up in town, 
it kind of draws your attention because they don't just go randomly to places. They were skilled in philosophy and science. They became known as men of wisdom. They were interpreters of dreams. Now, listen to the religious system that they were part of. Very interesting. Um, that's, I think this is where Zoro's name came from. Um, they were Zoroastrians, Zoroastrians. And the leader of the, the religious group, his name was uh, Zoroaster. And they worshipped the God. This is the best part. They worshipped the God Ahuda Mazda. That's not where the car name comes from, but I think they actually have a make, Ahuda Mazda. So Ahuda Mazda, you spell it exactly the same, was the God they worshipped. These specific group of people now. Now, Ahuda Mazda was known to be the storm God, the fire God, the God of disaster, Ahuda Mazda. So the Magi, the wise men that showed up to see Jesus, this group of people were worshippers of Ahuda Mazda. We find them very prominent in the Old Testament, and we first encounter them uh, very prominently where, where Daniel is in front of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar says, listen, I've got a dream. I want you to interpret the dream for me. These are the same men. This is the same group of people that we later meet in Matthew that come and presents gifts to Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He, in his court, he has hired wise men, people who can interpret dreams. It gives them um, information. They were some of the highest people in the Babylonian kingdom. But they couldn't interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And then Daniel stepped up. And Daniel gave the exact meaning of the dream. And what happened is because Daniel stepped up and gave the interpretation for the dream, he became the leader. He became the chief of the Magi. He was the master of all of them. Now, why is that important? It's important because without it, we don't understand the question in verse 2. The question is this, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, why on earth would people from Persia come to Jerusalem asking that question? The answer can only be because Daniel has primed them for the coming of the king. Daniel informed them. He, they are prophetic words. There's a prophetic fashion that there will be a Messiah born who would be the king over Israel and eventually ruler of the world. So Daniel had spoken about this. So that Magi over time had access to all the prophetic scriptures and also to the Old Testament, the writings, like Numbers 24 reads. And tells us, it says, a star will come from Jacob and a ruler from Israel. So they came with a question. These magi showed up and they came with the question. Here's the question. Where is he? Now, that question is followed by a reaction. And the reaction of the current king is seen in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Greek word, terasso. Terasso means greatly perturbed. Highly agitated, 
deeply troubled. He was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, where is the Christ, the one to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, is the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, so he's like calling all his wise people, saying, they're telling me there's going to be a king born. Calls all his uh, wise people, all his advisors, says, where's this king going to be born? They say, well, the Bible says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Then Herod continues on. When he had secretly advised, secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I might come and worship him also. So he ended up saying, okay, so when you guys find, find the king, Jesus, come back. Tell me where he is because I also want to go and worship him. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went with them until it came over and stood over where the young child was. Herod was troubled. Now, you'll find out that Herod was the kind of guy that when he's unhappy, everybody's unhappy. Have you ever been in a home where it's like that? Like when there's, dad's not happy. Nobody in this house is going to be happy. Or if mom's not happy, dad, you better not be happy. (laughs) Now, Herod's Herod's home was a little bit bigger. Herod's home was, if Herod ain't happy, nobody in Jerusalem better be happy. Because if you are, you will die. So he was troubled. Why was he troubled? Because they came with a word. They said, where is the king? That is born king of the Jews. Did you know that Herod's title was the king of the Jews? So he might have been a little bit worried. You're asking me where's born the king of the Jews? That's my title. Let me tell you a little bit about Herod. Herod, he wasn't Jewish. He was an Edomite. He came from modern day Jordan, east of the land of Israel. And the way he rose to power wasn't by his own ability or by his own accord. It was because of his father. His father was Antipater. And his dad helped Rome. And because he helped Rome, Julius Caesar said to him, Listen, you can rule over Judah. I'm Judea. I'm giving you Judea. You can be the ruler of that. And when he died, his son, called Herod the Great, took over. And Herod the Great was given the title, King of the Jews. It was a title that he held onto very tightly. He did not like anybody else taking his title. He killed any possible rival. History describes Herod the Great as cruel and paranoid. Here's an example. He killed one of his several wives, but big examples. He killed two of his own eldest sons. So that they couldn't occupy the throne. It was so bad that there was a saying around. It said it was safer to be Herod's pig than it was to be Herod's son. Herod was so vicious that when he was on his deathbed. Now listen to this guy. He knew nobody would mourn when he dies. He knew nobody would be sad 
Like, okay, King Herod's going to die. Oh, let's have like a Jerusalem mourning. So what he did was, the day that he died, he, he commanded that all the chief priests and all the chief people in Jerusalem be arrested. And his command was, the moment he passes, they should kill all those chief leaders also. So that the city mourns, even if it's not for him. He wanted there to be mourning. He's a great guy. He's like the kind of guy you want to invite over for Christmas dinner. So this whole story about Herod hearing that there's a king, you have to understand how significant this is. These wise men saying, listen, where is the king? To a guy who kills anybody who possibly thinks they're going to be king is very significant. This is also the reason why Herod later kills all the babies in Bethlehem, to try and get rid of this king. So that's a reaction of this king. But the story really centers um, around the last part, and, and we're going to move on to that quickly. After the question about a king and the reaction of the current king comes the, the real question of the heart. And this is what I want us to catch over the next few weeks as it leads up to Christmas. It's the issue about the adoration. It's the issue about us adore him. Wow, I loved that worship song this morning. Um, the, the, the new Christmas, I mean, there's always Christmas songs, but, but that, just that, that part of, of uh, the come let us adore him and, and praise him, I mean, it was powerful to me. It was beautiful. That's what Christmas should be. It's the heart condition of praising um, our King and our God. So in verse 9, it reads, When they heard the king and departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child. Now please notice that. It does not say that when they come into the manger. It does not say when they went into the cave or when they entered the barn. So what I want all of you to do is, as you drive through your neighborhoods, and you see nativity scenes set up in the front yards of people, if there are any wise men, remove them. You can choose how. You can burn them. You can steal them. Really, this is a Christmas message. You can re-gift them. Put them inside the people's house. Because that's where they showed up. They were not next to the sheep and the cow. Okay, very important. They're now in a house. Okay, just to be clear for those of you that don't know me. Don't steal other people's stuff. It was a joke. Unless you really feel you have to. That was a joke also. Okay, so they're in a house now. And this is sometime after Christmas. We celebrate the birth of Christ. It's sometime after that. He's a young child with Mary, his mother. And then this is the part which I love. And it says, they fell down and they worshipped. And when they opened up their treasures, they presented gifts to him. 
gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Would you please notice that before they gave their gifts, they gave their hearts. Oh, if I can ask you to do one thing this Christmas. Before you give your gifts to your kids, how about this year? Together you sit as a family and you say, we just want to give our hearts to you, God. How, how about we start with that this year? Maybe you're not in a home where everybody else is going to do it. I want to challenge you to do it on your own then. Saying, God, I'm going to open up these gifts and I'm really looking forward to it. But before I do that, I just want to bring my heart to you first and say, I worship you. So, so they gave their hearts. The first thing they did, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. And then they presented presents to him. Now, we often talk about um, Christians' responsibility to give and to serve and to use their talents and their treasures. And all of that is well and good, and you should. But before you do any of that, we have to give of ourselves. We have to give our hearts. So they worshipped him, and then they presented their gifts. And the first gift that they presented was the gift of gold. Now, gold is mentioned in Scripture 385 times. It's a lot. More than any other metal. It is considered in the Bible as the most precious of all metals. Of course, this is before modern-day um, discovery of rhodium and platinum. Gold is kind of third in the value list, rhodium, platinum first. But in those days, gold was the main thing. It was considered the emblem of wealth. If you had gold, you were wealthy. And it symbolized more than, than any other metal. It was associated with kings and royalty. In fact, it was an ancient custom that if you ever had to enter into the presence of a king, that you must bring a gift and it must always be accompanied with gold. I want you to think for a moment what this gift of gold practically meant, practically, to a very poor couple. There was a practical implication for this gold that they received. They had known poverty up to this time. They were peasants, Mary and Joseph. They weren't elite. They could barely make the journey financially from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And suddenly, they come into big money. Somebody gives them a pot of gold, like a stack of gold. Now, what happened to it? We don't know exactly. Um, what theologians believe is, is this is what Mary and Joseph used when they heard that Herod was after them to flee to Egypt and to hide and to pay for all of that what happened between those time periods. But what this does show us, this shows us that we worship the Lord not simply because Jesus was born in a manger and he is our Savior, but we worship him because he is king. The first gift he received was a gift fit for a king. In the Bible, there's a term that is used over and over and over again in the New Testament. It's the, the term, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Then also, there's another term, the kingdom of God. 
Now, these two together, kingdom of heaven is mentioned 70 times. Kingdom of God is mentioned 32 times. So just over 100 times kingdom and a king is mentioned. And we have to understand that the kingdom, the king of this kingdom is Jesus Christ. So we should be worshiping him. Jesus, not only as our Savior, but we should worship Him as a King. In North America, in the Western world, we have no idea what a kingdom and a king is. We have no clue. We have democracy. In kingdoms, there is no such thing. There is the king's decree. What the king says is what the people do. Those who are part of his kingdom, if the king gives you an instruction, there is no debate. There's no choice. So if Jesus is your king, to us who are his followers, when it comes to scripture and the instruction from scripture, it is not open for debate or comfort. If you serve him as king, it means you submit to him as his servant. So we have to serve Jesus as king. The first gift. Later on, Jesus will come to Jerusalem um, and he's going to drive in Jerusalem on a donkey. And when he does, the crowd starts yelling out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The king of Israel. On the cross, Pilate ordered this statement to be placed above the head of Jesus. This is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. When Christ comes back in Revelations 19 on his robe, he will bear the sign, king of kings, lord of lords. So here's my question. Do you worship him as king? This Christmas, do you celebrate the birth of your king? Are you his subject? Are you his servant? God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Does he call the shots in your life? Is he on the throne? Who are you? Is he the king? Now Matthew writes about this so beautifully. And the worship team can come up. Matthew writes about this so beautifully. Is it the worship team now? Or are we going to? Worship team is not coming up. Um, listen, who's the pastor? <laughs> Obviously, we're still working on this whole submission thing. Um, it's the first Christmas. We'll get there. No. Yeah, here's the thing. I, I really want to challenge you with every one of these messages over the next three weeks, four weeks, every one of them is going to challenge you towards your outlook towards Christmas. I know Christmas can be over-commercialized. I know that. I know we can celebrate things and it's about everything else that happens and the dinners and the families that get together and where we're going to be. But I want to challenge us, every single one of us that's here, this Christmas instead of, I'm not saying don't do those things, 
But instead of just doing those things, how about we add the value of the kingdom to every one of those things that we are doing? And it can have an impact on your neighbors. It can have, I don't say withdraw from things. I think we should be present in everything. But we should be present with the right mind and heart's attitude and worship. And when we do that, we can influence our friends and our neighbors and our family members and people that's going to, hopefully you invite people to become part of your Christmas season. Hopefully you can invite people to join us on Christmas Eve as we celebrate Christmas here. And, and it's a mandate from the king is go out and make disciples. So I hope the first thing that you're going to remember this year regarding Christmas is Jesus is king. You have to make sure that he's your king. Jesus is my king. He's my king. He's my king. And with that term, there's a lot that comes with that. This is a mission to him. Complete submission to him. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we thank you that we can, first of all, just be together as, as your family. As your sons and daughters gathered together to worship you, to learn more about you, to grow in relationship with you. And Father, I, I want to pray that for every single one of us that's here, that this Christmas season, we will grow in our relationship with you. We will grow in the understanding of who you are and what you've done and what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. So I pray that you will speak to our hearts throughout this season. Let us notice the small things. Holy Spirit, point, point out to us the small details about Jesus that we've missed before and help us to celebrate Jesus appropriately. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.